0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church Podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. So we want to uh, turn to John chapter 6 in our Bibles, and uh, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, which is a biography of Jesus by one of his closest disciples, the Apostle John. Uh, we've been following Jesus as he, his ministry has started and, uh, and now it's reaching the pinnacle in John chapter 6. And uh, we just last week learned about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, he miraculously took five loaves and two fish and fed at least 5,000 men and probably more like 10 or 12,000 people. And so uh, we're going to look at Jesus' understanding of that story this morning. Um, I was reminded as I uh, was thinking about bread, uh, I was reminded of a story or, or an experience that I had in college. I uh, was part of a choir in college and uh, I think it was a 9-11 service that we were uh, asked to sing at and so we went to this uh, to the, this military base and there was a lot of people there and cameras and it was going to be this big production and we had to get up super early and we showed up early to practice and we were dressed very nicely and everything and I hadn't had anything to eat And so after we'd done our sound check, we had a few minutes before we were going to take the stage and be part of this big presentation. And uh, they had tables and tables of Krispy Kreme donuts. And I had never had a Krispy Kreme donut in my entire life. And so it did look like manna from heaven spread out across the tables. And so uh, I began to eat one and I was so hungry. I ate one and was like, this is amazing. And then I began to eat another one and then a third one and then a fourth one. And then a fifth one, and a sixth one, and a seventh one, I ate eight Krispy Kreme donuts. And uh, if you've ever had any experience with Krispy Kreme donuts, they're basically pure sugar. And uh, I, I'm pretty convinced that the body, the human body, begins to shut down at about three of them. And I had eight and then immediately had to stand up for what, what felt like several hours uh, behind, uh, behind this uh, podium and sing, and my stomach just turned to like a brick, and I felt terrible. Uh, so that was one of those situations where my hunger got me into trouble. Uh, my hunger for, uh, for physical bread uh, ended up costing me in the long run. And, and what we'll see is that in this passage, the, the people who have a hunger for physical bread uh, end up being blinded by their physical bread to the true bread that Jesus uh, offers them in John chapter 6. So uh, in John chapter 6, as we said before, the feeding of the 5,000 has happened. And then it, it, that night, Jesus dismisses the crowd and sends his disciples across the lake of, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and he goes off to pray. Well, while they're crossing the sea, uh, there's a storm that blows up and their lives are threatened. And what happens is, is that Jesus actually comes to them on the sea. And we have this beautiful picture that Jesus actually cares about the physical needs of people by providing bread and he cares about people's physical safety and that he goes and rescues his disciples Um, as they get to the next day across the sea we'll pick up the story in uh, in John chapter 6 verse 22 and here's here's the continuation of the story Um, as we go through this story I'd like to point out I'd like you to watch for something Um, I want you to see four groups of people in this passage. There are four groups of people that are going to interact with Jesus in this passage and we'll have the desiring crowd in verses 25 through 40. We'll have the disputing Jews who then begin to argue with him in verses 41 through 59 and then we will have the deserting disciples in, in verses 60 through 66 and then within that group of disciples is the 12 verses 67 through 71 who are determined to follow Jesus, the determined 12. So I want you to watch for that as we read through these uh, verses together. John chapter 6 verse 22 on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from Tiberius came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, It is as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, they said is this is not this jesus the son of joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say i have come down from heaven jesus answered them do not grumble among yourselves no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day it is written in the prophets and they will they will all be taught by god everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me The bread that I give him for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then, disputing among themselves, said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's quite a passage. It's a long passage. One of Jesus' longest teachings and actually the longest chapter in the New Testament by Greek words. Uh, So this is a a big text and what Jesus is essentially doing as we walk through this text is he's addressing these four people, these four groups of people, and his main point is related to an analogy that the bread that that they received the day before was to point to. The analogy is this, Jesus is like heavenly bread and saving faith is like eating that bread, which is his flesh. And so he's using an analogy here. And the people have a hard time grasping it. In fact, three of these four groups are going to stop following him. We're at the peak of Jesus' ministry, the most popular that he will ever be in his earthly ministry. And uh, it's going to reduce dramatically down to basically just the 12 because of what Jesus is going to speak here. Because of the offer that he is going to make does not appeal to their fleshly desires. And so when we look at this, The key phrase is this. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. So we want to look at four things today uh, from this passage. Jesus is the bread of life, which he says in verse 35 and 47. This is the key uh, phrase in this entire chapter. This is what ties the whole thing together. This is what ties the miracle uh, to the teaching, is that Jesus is the bread of life. And there are four things. Jesus is the bread of life satisfying spiritual hunger. Jesus is the bread of life sent from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life saving through eating. And this is sovereignly drawn by God. Those who come to him are those that are sovereignly drawn by God. So let's look at spiritual hunger for just a moment. Look in verses 26 and 27. The people come across the lake to Jesus and they ask him a question. Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He actually gets right to the heart of the issue, just like he did with Nicodemus. And just like he did with the woman at the well, Jesus cuts straight to the chase here. And he says, truly, truly. And whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, there's four of them in this passage. He means pay attention. Pay attention. I'm about to say something that is incredibly, eternally significant. And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, which is good, not because you saw signs, but because because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. And on him, the God, God, the father has set his seal. So he's calling them out. He's saying, you're coming because you are hungry. You're coming because you want physical bread. What they're doing here is that they're actually looking beyond Jesus to something else. They're not coming to Jesus for Jesus. They're coming to Jesus for what Jesus can give them. And they have this physical desire. But Jesus didn't come to satisfy physical desires only. He came to satisfy spiritual hunger. They're coming with a physical hunger. And they want a physical political king. But Jesus refuses to be that. He came to satisfy spiritual hunger. Now Jesus does care about physical hunger. He cares about physical needs. We've seen that already in chapter 6. That he does care. And he actually tells us to pray, God give us our daily bread. So he does care about that. He does care about their safety in the boat, but not mainly. Mainly, he is interested in satisfying them with himself. He doesn't want to come, he he didn't come to be used. He came to be treasured and they're wanting to use him for their own ends. They see him as as a genie that can grant their wishes, not as Lord to be treasured, not as someone to satisfy their own souls. Verse 35 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual hunger. They have a deeper need than food. They have a deeper need than safety. They need their souls reconciled to God, satisfied in Jesus. They have a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst that they're not aware of. The crowd's interesting when you look at their motivations because they do ask for bread they say, sir, give us this bread always, but it's clear they don't get it. Um, I think what, what John writes in First John, an epistle that this same author writes um, uh, called First John uh, 2.16, he says this. He says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the father but is from the world and we see all three of those he's saying that in the world we have three basic sinful desires three basic fleshly desires the desires of the flesh what our bodies crave our hungers we have a desire of the eyes we want to see amazing things we want to be wowed and we have pride of life we want to be affirmed we want to be uh, we want to be important and uh, apart from God And what we see in this passage is that we see all three of those manifested in this crowd. They're coming to Jesus in the flesh. They're coming to Jesus in a worldly way. Look at what they say. Um, They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. They said, what sign do you do? So they come with the lust of the flesh. We want bread. And Jesus calls them out on that. And then all of a sudden... He, uh, they say, what sign do you do? We want to see something amazing. The desire of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And they're wanting to tempt Jesus to try to buy their, to try to earn their faith. Um, he says, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You, sure, Jesus, you did a miracle yesterday, but what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me today? What have you done to earn my faith today? And Jesus is just not going to have those motivations be the reason why he came. The desires of the, the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. We see all three of those here from the crowd and Jesus refuses to meet those desires but instead points to a deeper desire, a deeper spiritual hunger. Uh, one pastor I heard travels quite a bit in his speaking ministry and every time that he comes home he brings his kids some gifts. And so it is, he said that it had gotten to the point that he had done this so many times that his kids actually wanted him to leave so that he would bring them more gifts. In a sense, they began to treasure. They began to treasure and look forward more to what they could get from their dad than they did actually enjoying the presence of their dad. And that's essentially what this crowd is doing is that they want what Jesus can give them in an earthly sense more than they want Jesus himself. And Jesus calls them out on it and says, I did not come for that reason. He, does not, he did not come to bring bread. He came to be bread. He did not come to be used. He came to be treasured. And so he... Uh, lays that out for them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. Which brings us to point two, is that Jesus is sent from heaven. Jesus is bread sent from heaven. So they're wanting, they're rightly seeing Jesus as, as the new and better Moses, which Deuteronomy 18 uh, predicted that that there would be a prophet that comes like Moses. And so they're beginning to understand that these signs point to the fact that perhaps Jesus is this new prophet, this new deliverer, this new rescuer, this new mediator. All the things that Moses was, but even deeper and better and greater. But what they forget to understand is that it's actually God himself and, and, and that that gave these things. Um, look at verse 32. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. You don't give Moses that credit. It was the father who gave you bread through Moses from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, I'm not just Moses. I'm the bread. I'm the manna. God provided the manna. God was the one that was at work behind Moses. God is the one that was behind the work in the bread. And actually I'm not just the Moses bringing bread. I'm the bread. I am the one that is sent from heaven. Look at verse 41. The Jews grumbled about him. So this is that second group. The second group grumbles about Jesus. So the Jews grumbled about him, verse 41, because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. And then skip down to 49. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So they're having a hard time grasping the source uh, of Jesus' beginning, where Jesus came from. Um, They are unwilling to acknowledge uh, that he is God in the flesh, that he is God's provision, that he is the living bread. They're only seeing through physical eyes. They're like, we know your mom and dad. How could you be from heaven? They have not, they're not seeing this spiritually. They do not believe. Jesus says that I'm not just the bread giver. I'm the bread and the father is the bread giver. Um, Jesus didn't come to bring bread, but to be bread, which brings us to our third point, which is we are, the analogy here is there is saving through eating. So Jesus is the bread of life that saves through eating. So just as you take in physical bread to sustain your life, and you trust that when you eat of it, you won't die, that it'll sustain your life. So also Jesus presses this analogy. He's not saying that he's literally a loaf of bread he is saying that he is like bread in that he brings and sustains life and and therefore he presses the analogy a little bit further by saying unless you eat my body and drink my blood you can have no part of me but the point is faith look at verse 29 this is the point before Jesus even gets to the uncomfortable talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood verse 29 here's the point Jesus answered this is the work of God that you believe in him who is sent the point is belief belief in Jesus Look at verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And then look at verse, uh, the second part of verse 51, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever and the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's beginning to make a turn here and change the analogy or, or press the analogy that faith is like eating bread. Um, You're trusting that bread to sustain your life and unlike physical bread which just delays death I'm the kind of bread that you eat and I give life so he's pressing this analogy of faith is like eating and he is getting to such a point in his disputing with the Jewish people and with the crowd that he goes ahead and just pushes the envelope as far as he can because they're only seeing through fleshly eyes and he's pushing it to a point where they would only be able to respond if they were able to spiritually understand what he's saying. He is so pressing this that he, um, he is going to push through their fleshly desires. He's actually going to offend their fleshly sensibilities uh, to the point that only, only the spirit could, uh, could make sense of this. And he says in verse 52, the, the Jews then disputing among themselves said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're like, that's kind of gross. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Um, And this is just incredibly offensive. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. It's not like physical bread. I'm not talking about you literally eating me, he's saying. He's saying I'm talking about faith. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This spiritual bread for spiritual hunger from heaven. This is what I've come to be. This is what I've come to bring. And they just cannot, they cannot get to that place where they can understand what his analogy is. And so we see that there is this analogy of spiritual eating is like faith. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, I think I was uh, six or seven years old and I came home from school and I I had fallen and hit in my head and I had this big bump on my head and the teacher said, man, you have this huge goose egg on your head and kept talking about a goose egg, a goose egg on my head. And so when I got home, I was totally freaked out and, uh, and, and all of a sudden whenever when everybody was gone it was just me and my mom I burst into tears and I said mom get the goose egg off of me I don't know where this goose put an egg on me I, I didn't understand the analogy <laughs> I didn't understand that they weren't talking about a literal goose egg but that there was some that I had bumped my head in such a way that uh, it's, 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 it's an analogy it looked like the egg of a goose and uh, you know you know the phrase and so the, Jesus is pressing this analogy and they're just not getting it because it's a spiritually discerned analogy so Jesus is the bread of life he came to satisfy spiritual hunger he is sent from heaven and we are saved through eating eating of this bread let's think about eating for just a moment thinking about eating in a physical sense is not the same as eating so you might dream about eating you might think about eating but that's not the same as eating knowing nutrition facts is not the same as eating Knowing how food is processed in the body, knowing how the digestive system works is not the same as eating. Chewing up the food and then spitting it out is not the same as eating. Your body gets no benefit from just knowing about eating, thinking about eating, understanding how eating works, or even like pretending to eat. In order for your body to stay alive, you need to actually eat. And what's happening is this crowd is doing everything but eating. They, they actually say, they actually say, Lord, tell us what work to do and uh, to, to receive this eternal life. And the only work they seem unwilling to do is to believe. They are, at such a, they are so much in the flesh that they um, won't even believe. They won't even take and eat. <clears throat> Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. To believe is to seek and to save savor and to be satisfied in Jesus Christ there are a lot of people walking around that think about Jesus there's a lot of people that actually admire Jesus there's a lot of people who who uh, who actually even know the gospel know how God saves people but they've never actually sought and savored and been satisfied in Jesus Christ they've never actually taken and eaten him they've never actually taken and believed in what he's done they've been like this crowd and that they are seeking Jesus for something else. Uh, I can remember meeting recently with a, with a couple different people actually this was a little bit longer ago but someone came to me and uh, their life was in shambles and they were interested in Jesus because they were hoping that their life would be better and I had to sit down and tell them like Jesus may not you, you may still your marriage may still fall apart your kids may still be in rebellion we don't come to Jesus for what uh, for to get our life to, to get our lives right mainly Jesus does do that we come to Jesus for Jesus uh, one, one person had kind of lost direction in their life and I met down to talk and I was like, I think I need to know Jesus. I was like, yes, you're right, but you need to know Jesus whether or not this next decision comes uh, the way that you want it to. We don't come to, Je- we come to Jesus for Jesus um, and uh, he may not make our life easy. He may not give us all our physical desires, but he himself satisfies us with true food from heaven. Now, what's interesting is verse 68 is look at how the 12 respond because in verse 66 actually it says after these many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him which is one of the saddest verses in scripture many of his disciples turned away and no longer walked with him so Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well it's kind of a a, a reverse gospel appeal like you ready to abandon me too and look at what Simon Peter says Simon Peter answers and says to him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of God. Do you see what he did there? He has a spiritual hunger. He's saying, Lord, who else do we, would we go to? You are the one who has the words of life, not just physical bread. His eyes aren't on the physical miracle of the previous day. He's not, that's not why he's following Jesus is to get bread every day. He's coming to Jesus because Jesus has the words of life. He is the one that really satisfies spiritual hunger. Peter is articulating that I have a spiritual hunger that you are satisfying Jesus. And look, he acknowledges belief. He's like, and we have believed and have come to know you. So he's saying that we have spiritually fed on you. We understand that you're the satisfaction for our souls and we, we are with you, Jesus. We are believing in you. We are following you. We are trusting in you. And he says, for you are the Holy One of God. And he understands that he has come from heaven. You see those three points? Peter has a spiritual hunger that he has, has been satisfied through the spiritual eating of faith in Jesus because he knows that Jesus has come from heaven. He understands the analogy, maybe not fully, but he, re- answers, um, he answers rightly and Jesus affirms him. Jesus said, I, did I not choose you, the 12? And he, So he's affirming Peter's confession there. That Peter does recognize that Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies spiritual hunger is sent from heaven and is and they have been saved through believing in him through eating that bread so one last point I want to point I want to show you here is that in John chapter 6 I want you to notice who does Jesus seem to think is the primary actor in our salvation who is it that that is the the, the one who is primary in drawing us to Jesus. Who is the only one who can give us the spiritual hunger? Who is the only one who can give us this heavenly bread? It's all a work of God. He believes that God is the one who does this. So all of this comes together. Saving faith comes because we are sovereignly drawn by God. Look at verses 36 through 39. We see that only God the Father can give spiritual hunger. Look at 36 through 39. He He said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out so it's the father who decides who gives he's the one who gives the ones who come for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing that he has given me but raise it up on the last day so believing is because God has given the belief God has given the spiritual hunger Verses 44 and 46, according to Jesus, only the Father can draw people to come to Jesus. Look at verse 44 through 46. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one, no one is hungry for this bread. No one will recognize that I am from heaven. No one will recognize that they need to eat my body and drink my blood. No one will believe unless the Father does it in them unless the father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God. He has seen the father. So only the spirit can give life. Look at verse 60. Many of the disciples heard this. They said, this is a hard saying who can listen to it. But Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Even if you were to see heaven open up and I was to fly up there, you wouldn't believe. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And this whole chapter has been an indication that unless the Spirit opens our eyes, unless the Spirit draws us to Jesus, the flesh will never lead us to Jesus. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there is some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus is seeing a living illustration that he can try to explain things, he can try to do miracles and signs, and people will not come to him for him unless the Father changes their hearts. And only God the Father can grant people to come. Look at verse 64 and 65. But there are some of you who do not believe. I guess I just read that. This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And then only God the Son can choose his disciples. Look at 66 through 71. Peter gives this uh, confession. Jesus says, do you want to go away as well? Jesus says, who should we go to? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? So Jesus is the decisive one. Now I know there's a lot to think about there because he is offering for them to come. He wants them to freely choose to come to him. So there is a free choosing. But what is behind that is there must be a work of God. God must do the work. God must reveal to us that there is something deeper than our physical hunger. There is something deeper wrong with us that we need Jesus to satisfy. It is God himself who must open our eyes to believe that Jesus came from heaven. It is God himself who must open our eyes to the fact that we must take Jesus by faith as if we were to take bread for food. That's the only way that we can be saved is if God does a work in our hearts because we are so fleshly and so worldly motivated. So let me close with this. Are you seeking Jesus? The crowd was seeking Jesus, but they were seeking him in the flesh. Are you seeking Jesus for Jesus? Are you seeking him for him? Not just so that he would answer your prayers, not so that he would just give you the things that you would want, even if Jesus wasn't there. Uh, John Piper, I think, one one time asked, if you could have heaven and all your desires met, but Jesus wasn't there, would that be good news to you? And the reality is, is that a lot of us live that way that we would be perfectly happy if we had all of our all of our physical desires met and know Jesus and that but that's not saving faith and that's not what Jesus came to bring he came not to satisfy our desires but to be the satisfaction of our souls are you savoring Jesus as the heavenly bread are you savoring him are you do you have a hunger for him are you satisfied by Jesus is it evident in your life that you have taken Jesus by faith and he has satisfied your souls and it's satisfied your soul. And, and now, even when you go without physical things, um, you still have a delight in Jesus. Uh, maybe you're not a Christian today and you've seen people who are hypocritical. You've seen people who call themselves Christians, but really they live for the same things that everybody else does. Jesus is bothered by that too. Christians are to live in a different way. They are to live totally focused and satisfied in Jesus. And so maybe, maybe you have, you have overlooked Jesus because you've seen Christians not live out the kind of discipleship that Jesus calls for here. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of Christianity you should reject. But what Jesus is offering you and me in John chapter six today is that he offers to satisfy our souls. He offers himself. He came and lived a perfect life. He came and died a death for sin on your and my behalf. And he rose again and now he offers himself. And he does care about our physical needs, but not mainly. He came to satisfy our hearts, our minds, our souls with himself. And so we come to Jesus, not because of all the blessings he can give us, but we come to Jesus because we want Jesus. And he alone truly and ultimately satisfies. So I would ask if if you're a parent or you're uh, in your home, uh, uh, is it evident to your children that you love Jesus? that you are satisfied in Jesus? Is it clear to your coworkers, if you call yourself a Christian, is it clear to your co-workers that you seek and savor Jesus Christ? Uh, our evangelism is always gonna fall flat if, if, we, if all we present Jesus as is sort of a genie that can give us what we would want even if the spirit wasn't at work at all. But God sent Jesus to be the satisfaction of our souls. And that's why we as a church have uh, as our mission statement that we exist to enjoy, display, and share the redeeming grace of God uh, with the world. The redeeming grace that's through Jesus. We desire to enjoy, display, and share Jesus because he is our bread of life. And we have come to him and we have been satisfied by him. And we want others to come to him and be satisfied. We don't believe in the prosperity gospel that Jesus came to make us healthy and wealthy and make all of our dreams come true. We believe in a Jesus who offers something so much better, a Jesus who came and who died that we might be satisfied in him, that we might treasure him, that we don't just use him for something else, but he himself becomes our joy. And so would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this great passage, and we ask that, uh, that you would help us, or that you would bring to life in our souls a hunger for you, um, there are so many times where we can we can think and feel that we're following you, but really we're just uh, focusing on ourselves. And so God, I pray that we would seek you. We know that it's you that does this work. We can't seek you in the flesh. We can't see you in the flesh. We can't be satisfied by you in the flesh. Lord, we need the Father to do a work in us. And I pray right now you would be doing a work in people's hearts. That You'd be creating a spiritual hunger. That you would be convincing them that Jesus is the heavenly bread. And that we would by the Spirit, place our faith in Jesus. Just as we eat bread, we would take Jesus into our lives and we would be full and we would be satisfied in him. I pray that that would happen right now, God, and we uh, thank you uh, for the gift of your Son, who is our bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing one more song.
1: A song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my I need you Oh God, how I need
0: you. Okay, what we want to do now is just uh, take a few moments. And uh, I think Josh maybe has some questions about the message. So, oh, you wrote them down. You were ready to go, huh?
1: I did. (laughs) There is one somewhere. I set them down there, a little note card at the bottom, probably. There it is.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah, we're <laughs> not doing we're not doing social distancing very well here, are we? Yeah. All
1: right. Um I, do we need to check if there are other ones on the uh, Just go with those, yep. Ones? Okay. Um so just in the text or whatever, we it obviously Jesus touched on talking about um uh eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Um a lot of people make the connection to the Lord's Supper. Um, some traditions even go as far as to say he's specifically talking about the Lord's Supper um, talking about um, Salvation being required and um, other things and so I just wanted to see what um, What your response to that was why maybe you that's not your conviction and um, what, what you do think Jesus is talking about in connection to the Lord's Supper?
0: Yeah, I don't think that Jesus is, has in mind here the Lord's Supper because actually um if, uh, if John was wanting to speak about the Lord's Supper, this would have been a great spot to actually say that. Um, and in fact, later on in the book, he doesn't, I don't know that he even includes the Lord's Supper at all. And certainly if, if, the, if that was meant to be a key point that he was making in the Gospel of John, then, uh, then he certainly could have and would have made that, I think, much clearer. So I don't think that's what he's talking about. And I think the very fact that, that Jesus says that... Um, your fathers ate uh, manna in the desert and died, uh, I think that he is making a clear distinction there that he doesn't mean eating in the exact same way that they ate. Uh, so I don't think this is, a, this is meant to be sacramental. And by sacramental, we mean this is, uh, this is something that you have to do to, as part of your justification, part of being and staying saved, is that you have to take this, that there's some sort of um, saving uh, impact to actually eating this. So... Um, I'm just, I'm convinced that that's not what he's talking about here. And I think he makes it clear um, by, by emphasizing belief so much earlier um, that he then is clearly developing an analogy. He doesn't mean that he's literally bread, and nor does he mean I, I, that, that, that bread becomes him, you know, at the Lord's table. Um, so I can see why people would make that connection, but it doesn't seem to be a connection that John's trying to make. Um, or else I think he would have made it much more clearly. And I think he maybe would have referenced that again. John's very good at making his point. And so the fact that he doesn't make that point, draw that connection here, tells me that that's not the intention here. And I think the uh, larger teaching of the New Testament would say that, um, that Jesus is not, doesn't literally physically become the body and blood. And we're not literally physically cannibalizing him. But these people... These people certainly were put off because they didn't see spiritually what Jesus was talking about. Um, Jesus spoke a lot in parables. John never includes a single parable. But actually the purpose of the parable was not to illustrate a point. It was to hide the truth from those who wouldn't believe. which is interesting. We tend to think of the parables as being something that is supposed to bring clarity when actually in a sense, Jesus is is going only people with spiritual eyes are going to be able to see this. So he actually obscures with parables. And in a sense, this is, I think one of the closest things to a parable that Jesus does is that he's actually, he's actually making it one of those things that only the spirit could open your eyes to this. Uh, Your flesh would be totally offended. Um, So anyway, I could go on further on that, but I, I think it's, I don't think in light of larger scripture and uh, just the internal unity of John, I don't think that you can say that. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, you touched on it a little bit there with mentioning the prosperity gospel, but I just wanted you to go ahead and just talk about how, I mean, we do see actually people coming to Jesus for for bread nowadays. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, around the world the prosperity gospel is is going crazy, and the idea is is that hey, if you're poor or you're sick, you come to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus' death actually guarantees it guarantees your um, your prosperity. God, guarant- God doesn't want anyone to be poor. God doesn't want anyone to be sick, um, uh, and so Jesus offers that now. And if you'll just have enough faith, in fact, there's a lot of TV preachers that if you just have enough faith or you sow enough seed, you can in a sense purchase that and apply that now and uh, I think this passage goes directly against that Um, because Jesus they're coming to Jesus with you know they do need bread for the day but Jesus is like that's not why I came that I didn't come um, to satisfy all your physical desires I came to to be desired by you and satisfy your your deepest desires and so um, so I think that this passage is very much going against the prosperity gospel and it it tells us that the prosperity gospel is not new Mm -hmm. people have always tried to use Jesus for something else Mm -hmm. you know and uh, and that's what these people are doing Uh, they are wanting to it looks good on the outside they're chasing after Jesus but inwardly Jesus is showing that they actually want something more than Jesus they love something more than Jesus Mm -hmm. and if Jesus is a way that they can get that thing but they would be just as happy to try something else. You know, if there's some other religion, if there's some other way uh, to be able to get it, then they would discard Jesus in a heartbeat because that's their God. That's their treasure. They love something other than that. And that's what the prosperity gospel does. And that's why it's so successful is it appeals to the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I and mean, who wouldn't want a Jesus that makes that, um, that, that gives you everything you could ever want? Um, but that doesn't, that's no evi- that doesn't bring glory to God and it's not evidence of the spirit. So, um, so yeah, I think this pushes definitely against the prosperity gospel.
1: Mm. Um, another thing, a lot of time, a lot of people have, uh, struggles with, and you actually did go into a good bit of depth, uh, as far as just God drawing people, um, but God's election, yeah. Um, and sovereignty and, and put names yeah. to that, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism and whatnot. Yeah. We'll get real uh, in the weeds on that. Um, I don't know if you could speak yeah. to that. Yeah. It
0: certainly is a mystery mm-hmm. um, because God, Jesus clearly calls them to respond to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he expects them to respond rightly, but he also is very clear that they won't unless the Father does a work. So, I know that there's a lot of tension there, and there's a lot of ways to go too far. You can become hyper Calvinist in that our decision making plays no part in it, or that you know that that it's all just totally um pre preset in a way that you know um uh that i don't think the scripture teaches, but then you can go the other side and go as if as if God is just kind of sitting around hoping people will be saved. So God intends to bring people to his son, and he will do it um and so um, I, it just seemed like it was so clear in this passage um, that that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is just clearly going, the reason that you won't come to me is the Father hasn't drawn you yet. And he just, it's not like he says it one time. He says it over and over in this passage. So, um, so I understand the tensions. I understand why people sometimes react to some of this. It does kind of offend our sensibilities. Um, but I just don't know how to reinterpret Jesus, you know, like, This is what Jesus is saying, and it seems like he speaks more about that than anything else in the whole passage. Um, You've seen me, and yet you do not believe. The Father gives, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, right? And that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. And then, like, I've kind of got it highlighted in yellow here. Most of the text, unless the Father who sends me, draws him, he cannot come. That's verse 44. And he just keeps kind of driving that home. And so um, I just don't know how to explain that away other than it must be that God is the one who takes initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I actually think the gift that he gives there is not just the eternal life, but the faith. God actually has to give the faith that receives the eternal life, so um, uh, so I think um, that's um, seems to be what Jesus is saying again and again. And even when these twelve respond to him rightly, he says, "I chose you. I'm I'm the one that put the ability to say and believe in. I, I'm the one that chose you. You're saying that because I chose you. And even when uh, in in the other gospels where Jesus asks, "Who do the people say that I am?". Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of God. And, and Jesus says, that was not revealed to you by man, but by God. He's like, God put that there. And so um, for the Christian, for the Christian, this should bring incredible comfort that it's not my own. It's not, it's, it's, it's God that holds on to me more than it is I him. Now I'm called to, I am called to believe. I am called to follow. I'm called to seek. I am called to make willful decisions to follow him. But underneath that, is, it is undergirded by the fact that it is God who guarantees through Christ my salvation. It is God who sustains my faith. It's God who gives me the desire for him. And that's a much more sure foundation than just whether I'm feeling it today, right? Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a tough, it, it's a tough thing to reconcile, but, uh, but I don't know how to explain, uh, explain it away. It seems like Jesus is just very clear here that it, God is the primary actor in drawing us to the savior. So yeah. Good? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Cool. Was there any questions over here? Jordan texted one in. How do we take practical steps to find satisfaction in Jesus? How do we find practical how do we take, how do practical, we take practical steps? Practical steps to find in Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, practical steps is I think that um, I think his reading his word uh, being around people who are satisfied in him. Um, what Peter says is, where else, should we, where else would we go? When Jesus asks asks them, do you want to go as well? He says, where do we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it's actually Jesus's words, I think, that actually draw us to him. So I think we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I think we need to confess our sins. I think we need to confess the ways that maybe we're trying to seek him for things other than him. And uh, and I think I think being around other people, I think being around people who are satisfied in Jesus, that that there is a contagiousness to that. So confessing sin, reading God's word, um, being around people who are like that, um, and then uh, and asking God to to, to give you that hunger, give you that desire. It's very clear in this passage that it must be God who gives it. So I should have repeated the question. Did I repeat the question? Uh, I didn't repeat the question. How can we take practical steps? I thought you did find satisfaction in Jesus yeah that's the question I answered so this is not the smoothest live stream in the world it's kind of a challenge to speak to a camera but any is that it no other questions okay cool um, so what I want to do is take a, a couple more minutes hopefully people are hanging in there with us and uh, and I want to just ask you some questions just interview you so um who is Josh Reeves? You're Josh Reeves, right? Um tell us about your life and how you came to Christ.
1: Yeah. Uh <laughs> so um right here. I um, am Josh Reeves. I'm my dad is Brent Reeves, he's the pastor over at South Kenya Baptist, our parent church, sister church, however you want to say it. Um we i've just obviously had had no shortage of good examples for christianity um how to what what it was all about um uh, my siblings are all believers my my parents all of them are have been great examples of me growing up and i'm the youngest and so growing up into that i've never um been confused or had conflicting uh gospel messages that were vying for my attention so growing up um, it's pretty hard to pinpoint where um, that clicked um, but it seems pretty clear as I reflect when I was a little kid um, it sure seems like I had a, a, a true relationship with God and I would and I would come to him um, in repentance often um, but there was a time in my seventh grade where I really just couldn't seem to shake sin um, and I really just um, I felt guilty, and I just felt like I wasn't, wasn't saved because um, that should mean that I'm changing, and I'm not. And so um, I remember talking to my dad about it, um, and he walked me through, reminded me of the gospel, and reminded me um, of true repentance um, starts inwardly and works its way outwardly, um, but that we're not supposed to do this alone. And so um, dad was my accountability partner from that point on. Um, and he invested time in me every morning from that point, I asked him to. Um, Every morning from seventh grade all the way up till I graduated, um, me and him before school would go through something either in the Bible or through a book or something along those lines. And That continual um, investment really shaped me, changed my life. Um, And there's been people along the way, Josh Brown showing up sophomore year, him investing in me, um, now, you know, there's just been people along the way who really have just been played a huge role in me becoming who I am. Um, yeah, that's
0: cool. That's that. Yeah, t- uh, tell us about how you met your wife, Christine. Yeah. And, uh, how are things going? <laughs> good. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, good answer. Yeah.
1: So, um, my senior year, um, well, I graduated, uh, and you from high school. From high school. Yeah. And, um, you had the youth group go on a mission trip to Haiti. Uh, and so me and a couple other people, and you and Lauren were the leaders. Um, yeah, we went, we went to Haiti. Um, and it just so happened that uh, Christine was also in Haiti through the same uh, missions organization, Grace Mission, but she was from Nebraska um and so anyway she had already been there for three weeks so she was on her last week and we were just coming in for a week um and so through that process um i had developed an interest in her uh she actually didn't have much of an interest in me which i mean well we, don't let know, that stop you you just gotta wear it down <laughs> yeah so anyway <laughs> um <laughs> so i remember it's i i made sure i was able to get connected to her because i i wanted to continue contact with her um, but then things kind of fizzled out. But I remember it's my freshman year of college. I went to Tanzania, and on the flight back, um, for some reason, I just had Christine on my mind, um, and I couldn't not. And so when I landed, I texted her, um, and then that kind of started um, the process of we start. We eventually started to date, um, and then um, last summer, June 10th, we got married.
0: Okay, so, so you're newly married. Guy. So, cool. One last question, and then we will wrap up uh, this live stream. But tell us about your calling. You feel a call to missions in some form. So tell us about that calling and kind of the direction it's headed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I felt
1: a calling as far as junior year of high school, um, wanting to do missions um, I didn't know how that would look. My se- senior year, I, I realized I was, I was good at math and science, and so I thought, um, why not do something with math and science? Um, have that be my way into a country, and then do missions. Um, from that point, once I once I established um contact, and so um, I knew that'd be necessary for certain areas of the world, and that's actually where I was drawn to, um. Lo and behold, obviously, the, the woman I married was also interested in and in called to missions. and Christine. So Christine. Okay. Good. Christine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, we, so fast forward now, I'm studying civil engineering. Um, I'm going to graduate this year, and I'm planning on going to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary Um Gonna get my MDiv, and then following that, um, we're planning on on going when whenever we feel God opens doors
0: to the mission, to the mission field, field. Yeah, and be able to use engineering maybe mm-hmm, along yeah. with, yeah, along with pastoral training.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe church planting. Okay. Great. Um, we would. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, the 10:40 window is kind of what I was thinking. So that's why the civil engineering is kind of crucial because. You can't just go in and say I'm here as a missionary. They won't let you in. Kay. But if you say I'm here, like, I have a job.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the 10:40 window—that's the most unreached, least churched. So you're wanting to go to some of the hardest places, perhaps even a Muslim context, or mm. yeah. and uh, and and try to be used used of God to spread the gospel and uh, strengthen the church. Mm. It's cool. Very good. Well, thank you for being our worship leader. And we're sad that we're going to be losing you here sometime. Who knows when Corona will let you leave, but, um, but it it is a gift to be a part of that and glad that God is calling you and Christine. And, and so thanks brother. I will close us out with a benediction. Hey, thank you for, uh, for hanging in there with us on this live stream. As you can tell, we're still working out how to do this, um, how to communicate to a camera and, uh, and stay connected to everybody. And so thank you for your patience. And uh, we certainly would love any feedback that you might have. How can we serve you? How can we care for you? Uh, how can we communicate better through these means in this time where we're uh, kind of isolated from each other and not able to have our regular gatherings? Uh, don't forget, redeeminggracechurch.info is a place to find all of our uh, links to uh, small groups throughout the week. Uh, we have a, a, we're doing a, a book reading together on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. All of that is on that website, as well as a way to be able to give online if you want to or, uh, or, or leave some information. Uh, I'd be happy to follow up with you. If you leave some information or you have a question, um, would be happy to do that so let me close us with a benediction from first Peter chapter 1 uh, our benediction or our, our call to worship was from first Peter our prayer was based on first Peter and now our bec- uh, our benediction is based on first Peter 1 and it says this though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And that's what it looks like to take Jesus, the bread of life by faith and to feed on him and satisfy true spiritual hunger is that though we don't see him, we love him. And we have joy inexpressible, not because of all the things, all the ways that he can fulfill our earthly desires, but that he is, he is our fundamental desire. So God bless you this week. And uh, and let us know if there's any way that we can minister to you. Thanks.